Hello and welcome to What You've Been Watching, an up-to-the-minute film and TV podcast where your host and leading film critic Roshan Chandy gives you his recommendations for what to watch in the world of TV and film. I also round up the weekly entertainment news and ask guests and listeners the big question, What You've Been Watching? Hello, Roshan Chandy here. You may or may not know me, but I can pretty much tell you who I am just to let you know what I do and what this podcast is about. I'm a freelance film critic who writes for a number of different publications, including Left Lion Magazine, Movie Quotes and More.com, and Cheerful, a supplement of Middle Street Resource Centre in Nottingham. But mostly I write for my own site, which can be found at roshansreviews.com. I review all the latest film releases along with must-see cult classics and TV dramas. I even have my own film-related gossip column called Film Diary, which I publish every month. Either way, I've been looking to start a podcast for quite some time now, because I think we live in a world where podcasting is becoming the new frontier for film criticism. I'm a huge fan of Jason Solomon's podcast, for example, Seen Anything Good Lately, which is a crucial inspiration for my own show, or Mark Kermode's Kermode on Film, or Anna Smith's Girls on Film. In their varying ways, these podcasts are the front mouth up to the minute movie commentaries they're essentially the kind of post-cinema daytime slash tea time conversations people have when coming out of the cinema or after finishing binge watching the latest netflix series after watching something in any format or medium people naturally have opinions they want to express and share and will often chat for hours after watching a film or tv show about what excited them or didn't excite them about what they just watched i want this show to be a continuation of that I understand that at the moment it's just me talking, but I do have plans to get guests on in the future. And the big question I'm going to ask all of them is, what have you been watching? That's an essential question we all have when we catch up with our friends. And I want to know what's their latest movie or telly obsession. And I want to ask guests and you, the listener, exactly what have you been watching each week. And feel free to get in touch at my podcast email address. That's what you've been watching at roshansreviews.co.uk. I'd love to hear what's been keeping you entertained on the big or small screen, whatever size. My show, nicely titled What You've Been Watching, is basically going to consist of three sections. Firstly, I'm going to talk about one film or TV show that I've been watching each week that has particularly captured my attention. Call it my film or TV show of the week. I'll offer my recommendations for what to watch in the world of TV and film. And your homework will be to go away and watch it, depending on whether you think my critical analysis is any good or not, of course. Then I'm going to have a weekly gossip section where I talk about the biggest story in the entertainment industry for that week and discuss the ins and outs of it and why it's getting me either over the moon or riled up. This is a lot like Film Diary, which I do monthly on my site, only more detailed and weekly rather than monthly. And then to finish off, I'm going to round up by giving you a list of my top five films of the week. The five films that have really got me excited for the last seven days. But most importantly, I'm going to be asking you one very big question that I would love to hear you, the listener, 
answer. And that question is what you've been watching. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want to know what's been playing on your TV screens, at your cinema trips, provided they're still open, or on your laptop when watching Netflix, Amazon Prime, Curzon Home Cinema, or whatever. It can be anything. I just want to know what you've been watching. So that's pretty much the rules and layout explained. So now I will officially get underway with the first episode of what you've been watching. Hope you enjoy. I hate to start my podcast on a bum note, but I have to confess that I've been watching Emily in Paris, or at least the first six episodes of Emily in Paris. And my goodness, that's about four hours of my life I will never get back. It's the latest TV series from Darren Starr, who is a director, screenwriter, and producer, who has created a number of TV shows such as Beverly Hills 90210 and Gross Point, but is most famous for the original Sex and the City TV series. Now, I haven't seen the TV series, series of Sex and the City, but I have seen the films and I can tell you I hated them. They were literally racist, misogynistic consumer porn shows that were presented completely unrealistic and sexist caricatures of women who were literally just obsessed with money, men and Louis Vuitton handbags. I hated those films, particularly the second one, which had that awful scene where the girls go to Dubai and these women take off their burqas uh, to reveal their jewellery underneath. I mean, a good way to promote the idea that the Middle Easterners are as empty and vacuous as we are. Now Darren Starr is back with Emily in Paris, which has been really getting people riled up. Lots of people have said Emily in Paris Paris is xenophobic and presents a completely false and unrealistic depiction of French life. As ever, when you hear about anything getting this much flack, your interest is, you know, oddly enough, kind of peaked because you want to see exactly what's been getting people so riled up to see if you agree with them or not and to see what all the fuss is about. So I went into watching Emily in Paris with a lot of skepticism and also a strange sense of excitement at how something could be so bad. Was it met? I have to say, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it the way I hated the Sex and the City movies. It's not as nasty as Sex and the City, partly because it has Lily Collins, who's very likeable and certainly not as hateable as Carrie, Samantha, Miranda and Charlotte, but it does share at least Sex and the City's 2's central idea of a rich, spoilt American woman going to a foreign country and behaving like a complete bimbo and being completely oblivious and disrespectful to the country's culture and social norms. The basic plot is that Lily Collins is Emily Cooper, a driven 20-something American woman who gets sent to Paris with the aim of providing an American point of view to a French marketing firm. And in Paris, she finds herself struggling to adjust to the culture clash between the French lifestyle and her way of life as a, as she puts it, boring and mundane Midwestern girl, while simultaneously finding love on both sides of the Atlantic. It was actually really interesting watching this show after watching Les Miserables, which came out last year, not the musical Les Miserables or Victor Hugo's book. No, I'm talking about Ladge Lee's film about Paris police brutality and racism, which was out last September, and actually the great debt to Lahaine, uh, Matthew Kasovitz's 1995 French classic about very similar subjects, Paris deprivation, uh, police brutality and racism, which celebrated its 25th anniversary last year. I really like Lahaine and liked Les Miserables in places. I think what those films did was shine a really thought-provoking light on the French capital that we don't tend to see very much on screen. Uh, 
we're used to see, thinking of Paris as this romantic, glossy city with the Arc de Triomphe and Elysee Palace and the Eiffel Tower. We don't tend to think about the underbelly to all the romanticism and the gloss because every city, even the most beautiful in the world, has an underbelly. And Paris has always been simultaneously notorious for its racism, for example. But we didn't really see much of that on the screen, to be honest, until La Haine came out. So after watching Emily in Paris and Les Miserables shining light on the darkness behind, as Emily in the show puts it, the most romantic city in the world, I kind of had quite different expectations to many in terms of wanting to see a more realistic, down-to-earth depiction of Paris. Because Emily in Paris is quite the awkward opposite to La Haine and Les Miserables. This show is every Paris cliche in the textbook going for it. At one point, Emily fancies getting a pan of chocolate, so she goes into a patisserie, uh, buys a pan of chocolate, buys into it and exclaims in a really phony sounding American accent, Pano Chacola. Um, at another moment, she sees a nude male statue and takes a photo of it and posts a Snapchat saying chiseled abs. At another moment, she grabs some flowers and posts a pic of her with them on social media. She goes to the Eiffel Tower and takes pics to put on social media. She goes to Elysee Palace and takes pics and puts it on, on Snapchat. She goes to the Arc de Triomphe and uh, takes pics and puts it on Snapchat. You get the picture. The girl loves taking pics of her next to famous landmarks and posting them on Snapchat social media. I think, to be honest, I'd be able to forgive the show for being as bland and boring as it is if it wasn't so grotesquely stereotyped. I mean, of course, because we're in France, there's a bloody scene of Emily wearing a beret, and she complains that French people speak to her in French when she can't speak a word of French. Well, you are in France, darling, so you should probably get going on learning the language. She, of course, eats baguettes too, and flirts with a hunky French chef played by Lucas Bravo, who actually and obviously is far sexier than her American boyfriend, Doug, played by Roy Hartramp. In fact, Emily does spend most of the show flirting and having sex with a variety of French men, but she's so upset that she broke up with her boyfriend, despite the fact that she chose to move to Paris and not him. She shouldn't be complaining. As for Lily Collins, she's certainly likeable. I mean, she's Phil Collins' daughter, for goodness sake, so anything from the Collins family is going to be fairly likeable. And Lily Collins has done good work before. I really liked her in the anorexia drama To the Bone, for example, and she's very good at the moment in Mank, where she plays Herman J. Mankowitz's secretary and inspiration for Susan Alexander Kane, Rita Alexander, who she plays with a transatlantic accent, as most people in the old movies talk in. I think it's good that they cast someone as likeable as Lily Collins in the lead role, because I probably would have hated Emily in Paris even more if it had had someone like Sarah Jessica Parker. She's certainly less vile than Carrie Bradshaw, but I don't think that excuses how openly and explicitly sexualized Lily Collins' character of Emily is in this show. There's not a single scene where she isn't wearing a colorful short skirt and it's really interesting that it's Emily who makes a point about female objectification during the filming of an ad which leeringly follows a woman naked from behind when she herself is just about the most objectified character by the whole show. I'm sure her entire role in this series is to flirt and sleep with hunky French men, and Darren Starr seems to be perfectly okay with this. Like, I'm sure he thinks this is a perfectly decent portrait of women. So it's a crap show because it's xenophobic, grotesquely stereotyped, and seriously sexist, despite the fact that Emily makes a point about that nude ad being sexist rather than sexy. I just think Lily Collins deserves better. I think everyone and anyone involved in this show deserves better. And yet, back in October, 
bet, Emily in Paris topped the TV Times charts for the week ending on October 4th. That makes it the most binged show for that week with a 4.92% share of binges. That's pretty worrying, to be honest. I guess there is a market for this kind of show in this day and age. In the same way as there was always a market for Sex and the City amongst the uh, 35-year-old female crowds, I'm pretty sure teenage and 20-something women will and are absolutely loving Emily in Paris because it definitely taps into their interests such as romantic cities, colourful fashion, hunky foreign men. I just think it's a very shallow and lacklustre portrait of womanhood um, and the French lifestyle, grotesquely stereotyped and I would advise everyone to stay away from it. That's Emily in Paris and it's available on Netflix. Please don't watch it. On to bigger and better news now, and specifically the report that Jodie Whittaker has quit the role of the 13th Doctor in the ever-popular and long-running sci-fi TV series Doctor Who. This news was reported by The Mirror earlier this week with the suggestion that the actress, who's the first female Doctor Who, will be stepping down from the role at the end of the upcoming 13th season. If she does so, she joins former Doctors David Tennant, Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi in quitting after three series. The odds are already out on who will replace her in the role with bookmakers Betfair lining up their red top favourites on who will be the 14th Doctor. Currently, My Family and Citizen Kane star Chris Marshall is the number one favourite with, with odds of 3-1, to one, followed by Maxine Peake at 8-1 to one, and Game of Thrones beauty Natalie Dormer at 8-1. to one. However, I'm more interested in a report by entertainment news website We Got This Covered that Get Out, Widows and Black Panther star Daniel Kaluuya is under consideration for the role. Now, we're still in early days and the BBC refused to comment on the report that Whittaker is quitting, but the prospect of Daniel Kaluuya taking on the part of the 14th Doctor really excites me. He's a terrific actor, so brilliant in Get Out, for which he was Oscar-nominated in Widows and in Queen and Slim last year, and his casting would make him almost, and no spoilers here, the first Black Doctor. Now, this is a terrific prospect and ground to follow on from the casting of the first female doctor and to be honest I have a strong inclination uh, to believe that this will be the route the BBC are taking I just somehow can't see the BBC going back to casting a white male in the lead role because that would look like they're backtracking on their established political correctness it would be like saying we've been a bit PC for three years now we can go back to being traditional and reactionary and go back to having a white male in the lead role as Doctor Who has been for most of its 57 year history. I just can't see the Beeb doing that. By casting Whitaker in the lead role, they've shown inclusivity and that they are willing to adapt to the changes in time and social norms. If they went back to making the Doctor a white man again, it would undo all their attempts to be more inclusive and equal. No, I think continuing with the Doctor as a woman or as someone from an ethnic minority is the way forward. We're in 2021 and times are constantly progressing and the Beeb need to address this, provided that is that whoever they cast is the best fit for the part and I think Daniel Kaluuya's casting will be a monumental step forward not simply because of the fact of having the first black doctor but because he's a brilliant actor who would fly the flag for racial equality as well as giving a terrific central performance I don't know about you but this is certainly what I want to see I mean I think the BBC can't possibly go back to how things were that's all I'm going to say 
So we're coming up to the end of my first show. Thank you so much for listening, if you have. And please feel free to share this podcast further. I would really appreciate it. So just to round things up, often weekly on Twitter, I post my top five films of the week. These are either in cinemas or on home viewing services, but now currently just on home viewing services, considering the cinemas are closed and look set to be closed for the foreseeable future. I wanted to continue my trend for giving you my top five films of the week on this podcast. I'll just name the film and give you a sentence-long summary of why it's worth watching. So here it goes. At number five, I've gone for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is available on Netflix. Will Chadwick Boseman win his posthumous Oscar? I certainly hope so, as he's terrific in this film, as is Viola Davis, who also deserves Academy Award attention for her performance here. At number four, I picked County Lines, a terrific directorial debut for writer-director Henry Blake that shines an unforgiving and thought-provoking light on a very real modern slavery story. That's available to rent on Curzon Home Cinema and BFI Player. At number three, I've gone for Falling, Viggo Mortensen's excellent and sincere drama about dementia and clashing values that's available to rent on Curzon. At number two, it's Mank, David Fincher's spanking new movie about the making of Citizen Kane, with lots of 40s Hollywood nostalgia, Gary Oldman being brilliant, and Amanda Seyfried needing to take home Best Supporting Actress. And for number one, I picked Soul, a lovely jazzy look at life, death, and the afterlife from Pixar. Brilliant stuff on Disney Plus. So that's it. That's my top five films of the week done and pretty much the show done for the day. But I couldn't leave without asking you the biggest question of all, which is the very title of this show. That's what you've been watching. I want to know what's been keeping you glued to the screen or even turned off from the screen. Whatever it is, please let me know by emailing me at my podcast email address. That's what you've been watching at roshansreviews.com. I'd love to hear from you and we'll read out the best responses on next week's show. That's it for today's first show. This is Roshan Chandy signing out. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I look forward to next week. Thank you and happy watching. This podcast's intro and outro music was brought to you by Music for Makers and was their own track, Stop and Go. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again soon.